You know what a sin eater is? Well, that's what we are. We are the sin eaters. It means that we take the moral excrement that we find in this equation and we bury it down deep inside of us so that the rest of our cause can stay pure. That is the job. We all feel better. We all feel better in the dark. In conclusion, if you find yourself falling asleep, having a dream child in the middle of a nightmare, while you're trying to wake up when you're being chased by a guy with razors on his fingers, and you don't know it's a new nightmare, and then you got Jason, he's got an axe, got Kelly rolling, she's not saying, nightmare baby, nightmare baby, nightmare baby. Nightmare, baby. Flow. H-Y. Once upon a time on a Super Bowl night, two guys from BK brought the points of life. Gave you some previews and some laughs. Wasn't no big thing, no one thought it would last. Then one started growling at the mention of a chick. The other guy would lose it every time he got pissed. Next thing you know, they got a good fan base. So they said, what the hell, let's continue to pace. No stone uncovered, they will take on a topic. Might bring on a guest, and together they rock it. Cause they're in like Flint, two mice is a cool. If you don't know the beautiful one, they'll take you to school. I'm talking about Tom, DJ, and Derek Ferguson. The best podcast out, hands down, it's set. So in the tub, in the car, if you're chilling in the park. Welcome to another show of Better in the Dark. There may not be a dinosaur laying around that hat, but there is something more dangerous, and I know who it is. You know who it is? Dr. Curtis Connors of Oscorp? That's right. Dr. Curtis Connors is also my daughter's mentor. What are you talking about? That's the one. You know, recently Dr. Connors gave Planet Glowing College recommendation. It was beautiful. When I read it, I cried. But you would have me believe that he, in his spare time, is running around dressed up like a giant dinosaur. Not dressing up and not a dinosaur. He has transformed himself into a giant lizard. Let me ask you a question. Do I look like the man of Tokyo to you? And until we get back in touch with you... Go watch that movie! Right, Davin? Go watch that movie! <laughs> well, here's where I usually do a little song where we kind of signify that it's the end of our summer promotion. We had, we had a summer promotion this year. We had a summer promotion. But we never got around to doing it. We had a summer promotion that yeah, we never, never got, got around, around to doing. doing. We got one of the several episodes we had planned actually out during the summer. Which actually is kind of par for the course for yes. us. That's actually our usual modus operandi. Yeah, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. And we never got around to We did the summer promotion. We did because we were going to do the summer speed. Yes. Never got around doing it, folks. What can I but tell But we are going to do those episodes. And, in fact, I've been looking through the Smoking the Bandit films. We're still going to call it the Summer of Speed. So it'll be December, January, and there's yeah. going to be snow outside. But we're still going to be saying, this is part of the Summer of Speed. It's, <laughs> going, to be an Indi- it's going to be an Indian summer. It's going to be some kind yeah. of summer, that's for sure. But this is, of course, traditionally, after we're done with our summer promotion, we do our catch-up where we talk about all the films we saw during the summer. Which apparently wasn't that much. And in case you haven't gotten the word yet, this is Better in the Dark, and he's Thomas DJ. And he's Derek Ferguson. And we are back once again with, as Tom says, our summer wrap-up of the movies that we've seen this summer. Now, before we get into this, let me ask you a question. Yes. Overall, what was your 
impression of this summer movie season as a whole. I'll tell you the truth, there wasn't a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got four movies I saw. And of those four movies, one was a foreign film, right. and one was a small independent film. The other two were big blockbusters, and we covered some of those other big blockbusters in the last one we did, in when we talked about one. The Avengers. There were a number of films that, for one reason or another, I never got around to going to. I'm going somewhere with this. So let me lead you to this. Okay. For Are you lot. saying I'm a horse? Of course, of course. For a lot of people, myself included, the only thing I wanted to see was the Avengers. And after right. the Avengers, that was it. I could have died a happy man. I really was not interested in seeing anything else mm-hmm. until The Expendables 2 came along. Do you think that the Avengers sucked a lot of energy? I'm only saying this because, and after I finish this, yeah. I'll let you go. It seemed like there was this tremendous buzz for The Amazing Spider-Man. But for some reason, I don't know, maybe it's just my perception, it didn't seem to catch on the way a lot of people thought it would. Right. Do you think that a lot of the energy uh, was I think it was the double punch, actually, of the Avengers in a film that I ultimately decided I had no interest in seeing and decided not to go to mm-hmm. see, exactly. which was... Dark Knight Rises. Right, yeah, okay, that was the other movie I, I was you know, trying to think that, of. And this caused a little bit of a controversy on the Better in the Dark Facebook page, which you can join by going to Facebook and typing in Better in the Dark and mm-hmm. asking us if you could pull up a chair, where I made my decision known, and people were like, but you liked the last movie. Did we review Dark Knight? We reviewed Dark Knight we reviewed uh, Dark, Rises. We never, we never reviewed Dark Knight Rises. Oh, so we can talk about okay. it in this well, episode. You can talk about it, since I made the decision not to go see it. Oh, you made it. the conscious decision not to see it. I made the conscious okay. decision not to go see it, because... As I gained more distance from Dark Knight, I became right. more and more dissatisfied with its nonsensical plot and its overall lack of hope right. throughout the film. And I was preparing to go see Dark Knight Rises, and I said, do I really want to put myself through this again? Do I really want to sit in a theater for three hours and get more of the same? I still claim that Christopher Nolan was always kind of bored with this project. The first film was probably the best film because it's an actual film, whereas the second one was just a bunch of incidents strung together in something kind of approximating a plot, including the ending that never ended. And I think that he was just bored with it from the second film, and he was trying to fit his ideas that he's done in other films like The Prestige and Inception and Memento and mm-hmm. following into this Batman-shaped hole. And so I made the decision. I said, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going there. Now, I don't know if I can agree with you. You don't put that much energy and thought into something that you're bored with. Unless you're giving a lot, a lot of money and the promise that and we're going to back the film you really wanted. Well, then you find the interest. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that was the thing. What kept him going through that slog that I think bored him was mm-hmm. the fact that at the end of this road, I get to do the film I wanted to do since Memento with the backing of a major studio in Inception. Because Inception right. was a script that he had around for a long time. Yeah, what, about 15 years? 15 yeah, years. Yeah, he, he wanted to do this. Yeah. And I'm sure that the next film he does is going to be something equally interesting to him. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And I think that he made a wise move to just do the three movies, the three movies yeah. and then get out. Although it's funny, I had people who had seen the movie going, oh no, there's going to be a fourth one, there's going to be a fourth one, and telling me what the ending was, and saying it's going to be the fourth one, only with, I don't want to spoil it for anybody who hasn't seen it. That's screw him. Spoil it. But with the Joseph Gordon-Levitt character. Who is actually impressing me, because I was a fan of Third Rock from the Sun. If anybody had told yeah. me that kid would grow up to be a major you know, movie a star. Major movie movie star, an action star, yeah. 
I would have laughed my ass off. But he's a guy I'm sorry ever since inception. When I hear he's in a movie, mm-hmm. I'm saying, Oh yeah, well I want to see that. So I guess you're really excited for Looper then. I am. It looks like a movie though that was held over from yeah. the summer. Oh, it, it, it definitely it looks lo- it looks like one of those. Definitely looks like a film that is a high concept film that they want. Now here's my beef with the Dark Knight Rises. And I, yes, I guess we've officially started our review section right and now. Yes, folks. I did have beef with it, so you Christopher Nolan fans. So, and let me tell you something: you people scare me. Christopher Nolan fans are not very rational. There is one person I was friendly with. I'm not friendly with anymore because of what happened when uh-huh. I said I'm making a conscious decision. I am not going to go see this film. We are not going to go into this, but you know what I'm yeah, talking let, about. Yeah, squashed. You know, because when I said this, everybody was. But you reviewed the show on your podcast, and you liked. It. I said, yeah, that I reviewed it back when I first saw it. Yeah, but I tried to watch it again. I found it very difficult to get through. And like you, I know some other people that said that they weren't going to go see it. What do you mean you're not going to go? See. Well, people got the right to not go see it if they don't want to go see it. Yeah. And actually, after I went to see The Dark Knight Rises, mm-hmm. I said to myself, I could have waited until that came to DVD, yeah. or I could have waited until it came to well, Netflix. Just give me the pictures of Anne Hathaway in the skin tight outfit, and I'm fine. To me, the main flaw with that movie that it was not a Batman movie, it was a Bruce Wayne movie. You could make the same argument for all three of not, the Nolan films. Not The Dark Knight. Dark Knight was a Batman movie. No, Dark Knight was a Harvey Dent movie. Batman Begins, okay. you could say, was a... It, it was a Bruce Wayne movie. Dark Knight was a Harvey Dent movie, and we're back to it being a Bruce Wayne movie. And it's, yeah, it's a, because in the movie, it's not Batman that rises, it's Bruce Wayne, which was a movie that a lot of people I get flack over, I'm sorry, I don't care. Yeah. And please, when I say this, do not tell me for the umpteenth time that I need to see the director's cut. Oh, Daredevil. Daredevil. Because just like that with Frank Miller's greatest yeah. hits, I felt like Dark Knight Rises was a greatest hits thing where they cherry-picked incidents from No Man's Land yeah. and Nightfall, and they tried to string I together. I think Michael Bailey has said that it's this terrific yeah. mishmash of all the great 90s Batman epics just That's exactly together. That's exactly what it is. It's like a greatest hits from all of the 90s Batman mm-hmm. events. Is it a good movie? It's a good movie technically. Yeah, I'm not going to lie and say I didn't enjoy it. I enjoyed it. However, it is not what I would call a Batman movie. There's a lot of things in it that I like. I like Gordon Levitt. The reveal at the end of the movie was a groaner. Oh, the one where we find out that his name was basically... Was Robin. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Oh, well, why don't you use your legal name? Yeah, maybe you're right. But what's your legal name? Robin. Oh. Yeah. Everybody know this. Uh, half the audience grown and the other half looked at the half that was grown and what the hell you grown in about? I had people going, oh, yeah, they're going to do Batman only. It's going to be Robin. He's going to be... And I'm like, no. They, no. They're not. No. Nolan said this was it. Nolan's moving on. DC wants to do another rebooted Batman. Oh. And... Poor DC. Like an idiot, they also want to do a Justice League movie because they see all the money that Avengers made. But they've already said it's going to be a different timeline. They don't know what the hell they want to do. It's gotten to the point where I'm actually feeling sorry for them. Their desperation in that they want Avengers-level money, box office, yeah. so badly. One day you'll hear, well, we're going to do it all CGI. No, 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 wait a minute. We're going to do it half-live back to half No, no, wait a minute. We're going to get gonna Ben Affleck to direct it. We're going to yeah, get Frank Miller to direct it. No, 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 wait a minute. We're going to get so-and-so. They don't know from one day and, and We've already talked about visiting our old whipping boys at DC for point five that we might be recording later today. 
Well, let us say that there is a severe disconnect between what the media arm wants to do and what the comic book arm wants to do. And they are insisting that they're going to have a JLA movie in the theaters next year, which I don't understand how you're going to do There's that. no way. When you don't have a director, you don't have a script, you don't have stars, how are you going to have a shoot for 215 at yeah. the earliest? Or if and that way at least you go head to head and you get the publicity of... Yeah. Which team is going to come out on top? Right, Avengers of JLA, exactly. Do that. It's just, oh man. But getting back to the Dark, Dark Knight, Knight Rises, one of the funniest parts of the movie, as part I laughed at, nobody else in the movie found it funny at all, but I thought it was funny. Yeah. Was the part where they go down to the Batcave, and in this Batcave, which I thought was actually kind of cool, when Batman walks into the Batcave, and there's a huge lake in there, and when he walks on this platform, rises up out of the water, and as he walks in there, these huge black cubes come out. And one has the back computer. Okay. And one, no, it's a cool image. Okay. But here's the thing. What happened when the workmen came to do this? And the foreman <laughs> said, now, Mr. Wayne, explain to me again why you need these huge black cubes to rise hydraulically up out of the water. Well, first off, you know that they weren't talking oh. specifically to Bruce Wayne. Lucius oh, Fox was doing all yeah, this Lucia shit. Yeah, Lucius Fox was doing it, of course, yeah. He's been covering the, his tracks all this time. Yeah. I'm sure he did the old thing where he got different crews yeah. and didn't tell them what they were doing. One crew was that, working on the cubes, one crew was working on the hydraulics, yeah. one crew was working on the little platformy thing. It was just the thought that came to my head, yeah. and I had to laugh. First of all, who builds shit like that? <laughs> How much did it cost? And, oh, man. The movie was a mishmash of all these different plots that were put together. Batman is in the movie in costume. I don't know, what, maybe 15 minutes out of a nearly oh, three-hour running time in the movie? We are beating over the head with this thing that... Bruce Wayne has become a recluse. Why? I have no idea. They never explain why he just decided to become a recluse and he's living like Howard Hughes. Yeah, nobody's seen him for years. Oh, so you mean and nobody... Hey, didn't Bruce Wayne disappear about the same time as that Batman, Batman guy? guy? Nobody puts this together. The whole thing with Bane breaking his back. Bane, who to me, again... It was hilarious. Why Tom Hardy sound like a drunken <laughs> Sean Connery, I will never know. What do you do with a drunken villain? What yeah. do you do with a drunken villain? What uh, do you do with a drunken villain early in the morning? Apparently Jim Gordon walks around with a confession in his pocket all the time as to the cover-up of the Harvey Dent thing. Oh my lord. The bat plane was kind of cool though. Mm. I did kind of like the bat plane. The whole no man's land thing. And see, this is why there's certain things that work in comics don't work in a movie because... Apparently, Bane had no problem subjugating the entire city of right. Gotham just by blowing up the bridges, and nobody went ape shit. Nobody yeah. tried to leave the city. It was just he manages to lock the entire police force in the sewer, and none of them try to escape. Right. Then they stay there, and the movie severely fudges the timeline because we're never sure how long we stay yeah. out there. And then there's this underground movement that Jim Gordon has got to try to take back the right. city, and the Scarecrow is holding a trial, putting rich people on trial, and and you look. Looking at you saying, okay, well, where's the government at? Because right. there's no way that the government would let the city stay You're not ahead. telling me the National Guard isn't going to swoop in. Yeah. Yes, folks, I know it's a comic book movie, but Nolan has repeatedly said he was going for a real-world Batman. Okay, you gave us a real-world Batman, but now you're giving us a Batman comic book situation, and right. now you're trying to slam, you're trying to make it fit in your real-world application of Batman, and it's not working. That's why I said that. At least in Dark Knight, that was a real-world joke in right. a real-world Batman. I felt that worked. I didn't think this worked in this one. It was, yeah. And the whole teaser that's at the end, get the impression that Jason Gordon-Levitt is either going to be the new Batman or, or Nightwing or, or Robin. I think it's just that. I think it's just a teaser. I don't think it's going to happen. 
Nolan's been very clear, this is it. We're yeah. done. And DC has been very clear, even he, before this movie started production, that they were planning on rebooting the Batman franchise after this movie came out. But through much of the movie, we're watching Bruce Wayne do the detective mm-hmm. work. We're not watching Batman do it. From what I've been able to gather, even though this Bane is closer to the Bane in the comics, mm-hmm. he's a flunky for another character. Yeah. He's not the mastermind that we were presented in that first Nightfall storyline. No, he's not. He is revealed as being a stooge. Yeah. Essentially, that's what he is. He's presented as being the main villain. But then we find out later on that it's actually... Yeah, Talia. Oh, I'll let you have that one. I'm not going to yeah. spoil that for you if you wait for the DVD. But she shows up in the movie and she's the actual villain. Why? The Agul family has such a fixation. with Gotham. Yeah, it's like, oh, gotta go, oh, gotta destroy Gotham. I want to see Gotham burn. Why? What did Gotham City ever do to you? <laughs> and also, I really did not like, because if you're going to set up the whole movie as being about Batman being broken by Bane and then coming back, and then he comes back stronger, and yeah. he's going to beat up Bane, and he's going to get his comics back, then let us have that. Don't have him taken out by another character who just shows up out of nowhere. Bam! Right. What? That's it? Nah, I'm not going to sit here and say I didn't enjoy it on some level. I did. There was a lot of things about it that I liked. Christian Bale still does have got that Batman voice. <laughs> he tried for three goddamn movies, and he never once got it right. They yeah. really did better cutting Kevin Conroy a check and dubbing his voice. Yeah. He never got that right. Michael Caine, of course, he's always excellent as Alfred. The ending was ambiguous at right. best. A lot of people have argued about it. They say, well, did it really happen? Is Batman really, Bruce Wayne really dead? I've heard the people put forth the theory that the ending is a fantasy that Alfred is having. By that point, I really wasn't all that interested because it seemed to me that Bruce Wayne himself was not interested in being Batman anymore. Mm-hmm. And if Bruce Wayne isn't interested in being Batman, then what am I watching it for? That I cannot answer. Yeah. Anyway, that's my capsule review. Uh, I really don't feel I have to go into detail with the plot because most of you listening to this have probably seen it. Did I enjoy it? Yes, I enjoyed it. However, I think that it should have been more accurately called Bruce Wayne Rise. Rise. Because I'm sorry, but it's not a Batman movie. It's a Bruce Wayne movie. Okay. Okay. So we talked about a film that had Cillian Murphy in it just now. So I guess we might as well continue the Cillian Murphy talk. Okay. Because the first of the movies that I saw during this period since we last talked about recent films Mm -hmm. was I got invited to a special preview screening in which Mr. Murphy and the director, Mm -hmm. Rodrigo Cortez, were in attendance Mm -hmm. of Cortez's second film, Red Lights. Cortez's first film was Buried. Mm-hmm. The film that fulfilled one of my greatest dreams, seeing Ryan Reynolds buried. I actually heard a lot of good things yeah. about that movie. I heard it was actually pretty good. That's okay. I, I, yeah, I know. You, you got that. No, it's not just Ryan Reynolds. You got that irrational hate for No, no, it's so, not just the Ryan Reynolds thing. It's so a we'll, film where we're spending 90 minutes in a very small, enclosed, dark space. Oh, yeah. Okay? Yeah, yeah. Not a film for me. Hey, listen. I don't suffer from claustrophobia, yeah. but I do have friends of mine who have seen it. And they have said, oh, if you have any kind of claustrophobic yeah. that movie will bring it out of you. So I haven't seen it myself. I quite understand. I'm just busting your chops. So, Red Lights, which okay. came out in limited release in June and July of this year, is a film about a pair of paranormal investigators who work for a small college in New England. Although they don't really say where it is. It's definitely a city of some sort. I assumed it was somewhere in New England when we first see the two characters, one played by Sigourney Weaver and his, her assistant, Professor, played by Cillian Murphy. They are going to investigate a haunting in Connecticut. Not the movie, but 
an actual oh fear. an actual haunting in, in Connecticut. Connecticut. Gotcha. They didn't decide to go to a movie and yeah yeah that's what I was thinking there. Okay, go ahead. In the opening scene, we find out that they're basically professional Ghostbusters. They are going around because apparently, when Sigourney Weaver was much much younger, she had an encounter with this mentalist by the name of Johnny Silver. Mm-hmm. who is played by Robert De Niro. Her husband was dying mm-hmm. of cancer. And for a moment, Johnny Silver made her believe that there was some sort of hope. Ooh. That he had some sort of knowledge. It was that moment that kind of spurred her on to this mission mm-hmm. to prove the falsehoods of all these various psychics and mystics in the okay. world. Luckily for her, Johnny Silver has decided to come out of retirement. Because he's this famous child psychic, he's blind. Then at one point, a journalist confronts him as being a phony. Silver gets into an argument with him, and the guy just drops dead on the spot. And Johnny retreats and becomes a recluse and doesn't have anything to do with him for many years, but she comes back out into the public. Mm-hmm. And Cecilia Murphy's character is like, we, this is the big white whale. This is Moby Dick. We can do this. We can shut him down and oh. show the world. This is our big show. This he, is our... Oh, yeah. But Sigourney Weaver doesn't want to because she's actually afraid of him. Mm-hmm. But Cillian Murphy, along with his girlfriend, played by Elizabeth Olsen, the other Olsen sister. Is this Olsen cousin? That's the... No, she, she's a sister. Because there's a cousin that acts, you know. Yeah, Elizabeth Olsen. We're talking about Mary Kay and Ashley's younger sister, Oh, this Elizabeth. is the sister, right, okay. That's it, the, the sister, not the cousin. So he and his much younger living girlfriend, mm-hmm. played by Elizabeth Olsen. I heard she's actually very she's good. She's very, very good. Yeah, she's, I heard she's very this good. This is a very well-acted film across the board. Mm-hmm. Decide to go in pursuit of Johnny Silver. And it does not end well for some people. And there is a very massive twist ending. Because what's happening, of course, is that he's trying to beard him in his own lair, and things start happening. He tries to... <laughs> do this electronic scan where they prove that there's some sort of like electronic devices set up in the theater yeah that he's getting information from or stuff yeah and all the lights blow out in the tin room he's using a couple of things I find interesting first off is that it seems like all three of these characters because it's a three handed game it's Murphy Weaver and De Niro mm-hmm. all these characters have something missing whether it's literally in the case of De Niro and that he's missing his sight his sight yeah Or in the case of Sigourney Weaver, she's missing her faith ever since her husband died. I'm not going to tell you, there is a twist ending, and it's a twist ending that might not make a lot of sense. Although, it kind of, sort of, if you go back and you look at the dialogue of the character that this twist ending happens to, Mm -hmm. you realize that it was there all along. Okay. This thing. The thing I appreciate about this film was it was kind of like almost like a ghost story, but it wasn't bloody, it wasn't gross. It was, relied a lot on mood and on the interplay of the characters. And we've talked about this in the past. That is a big problem with horror films these days, is the emphasis is on ways people can die and grossness. Well, which in itself yeah. isn't a bad thing, as long mm-hmm. as it's done in a logical, consistent manner, that you can make me believe that this could logically mm-hmm. happen. Thank God we seem to have seen the death of that, the torture porn kind of thing, and the Saw franchises died a merciful death. As a matter of fact, I have been seeing, we've been seeing more psychological right. driven horror movies like this come up after a while, which I think is a good thing. Not that I got anything against blood and guts, mind you, but right. movies like this, I think, touch you mm-hmm. more up here. Up in and the spine, yeah. 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 Not in the gut. So this is a good recommendation it's, for the upcoming Halloween. I uh, would say, I would say it's got to come out of video soon. Oh yeah, well. you might want to check it out on video. It's not going to be for everybody, I think. And this is something else we've talked about: how most people feel like the twist has to be the raisin diatra. Yeah, 
And yeah. I think that there are going to be a lot of people who will watch this and get to that twist, that big reveal at the very end of the film, and, mm-hmm. and think they've been gypped. But I don't think that was the point that Cortez was reaching for. He's not M. Night Shyamalan. And this isn't the selling point of yeah. the whole movie, the big twist, which is the problem with Shyamalan's movie, is that his whole movie is based around the twist. Right. You get the feeling that, okay, he starts off with the twist and then works backwards. Right, whereas this is more story. about yeah. these three characters who represent different kinds of faith. Right. And how they interact with each other and how their lives are changed. I also have to say, the other thing I like is that there's only one moment in this entire film that I think was CGI. Most of the the supernatural scare moments seem to be done through either misdirection or just really good, tight editing or conventional effects. And I really appreciate this one just bizarre moment towards the very end when Johnny Silver finally agrees to be studied by another department in that same college, which involves a stack of chairs. And I'll just leave it at that. Oh, okay. I appreciate that because I think far too often my next film will be a film that deals a lot with CGI. Okay. And a lot of times CGI just takes me out of the film. All right. So what am I going to talk about? Oh, let me talk about this movie while it's still fresh in my mind. Right. And a lot of people probably be interested in hearing this review as opposed to Hope Springs. Mm -hmm. Well, unless you're turned on by Meryl Streep giving Tom Lee Jones a blowjob. Ah! But we'll we'll get into that later. Yeah, and yes, you heard that right. That actually does happen in the movie. We're going to talk... It's in my head now. Yeah, but we will get to that. But for right now, let's talk about a movie that I know a lot of you guys are fans of this director, mm-hmm. Paul Thomas Anderson, and his new movie, The Master, which just came out limited release here. He's done Part 8, which I mm-hmm. enjoy. Right. It's a good movie. Boogie Nights, which I feel so far, I argue a lot of people, they say Magnolia is this better movie. I think it's Boogie Nights myself. Okay, I think that I like Magnolia better, but then I'm a big Amy Mann fan. Yeah. Magnolia, according to Paul Thomas Anderson, is instead of Amy Mann writing a soundtrack for a movie, this is a sight track yeah. for an Amy Mann album. Yeah. What's that scene? Was that song they're singing at each one of the Wise characters? Up. Wise Up. Wise oh, Up. man. The cop and the drug addict yeah. are having this argument, mm-hmm. and she says the first line. Right. And it begins this whole, the whole montage, montage of all, of all the, characters the characters singing the song. And it's, oh, that's a what? See, now... Apparently, he literally went to her. She was recording. Uh, this is. It's funny that we bring this up because mm-hmm. I'm going to be in November recording another episode of Love That Album with Maurice Brzezinski about the Amy Man novel. Uh, Amy Man novel. Amy Man album. Bachelor number two. And supposedly the story goes, Paul Thomas Anderson went to her while she was putting together mm-hmm. Bachelor number two and came up with this idea and said, "Give me some songs." And uh, while there's some overlap. You mm-hmm. can almost consider the Magnolia soundtrack to be the second disc of Bachelor yeah, Number second, Two. Right, right. In that, it's that, the visual. Well, the thing is, is that there's only two songs on the Magnolia soundtrack that are also on Bachelor Number Two. The rest of the stuff is original to the movie. Mm-hmm. You can almost consider that as like a two-record set, and yeah. then you've got this DVD, mm-hmm. this two-hour-long video yeah. built around her built music. Built around the music. And see, now that we're talking about it, and I say, yeah, you're right, Magnolia. See, I waffle. I go yeah. back and forth. Punch Drunk Love. He made that, which to me is the best movie Adam Sandler has ever made. There Will Be Blood, which of course got all kinds of accolades. And then he's got The Master, which is a movie that I'm going to talk about now. The Master, let me put it this way. This movie is a 
how can I put You go to watch it for the acting. Right. You are really not going to watch it for the story. I should get it out of the way now that there was a lot of rumors that this movie was based on the life of L. Ron Hubbard, L. Ron Hubbard. who created Scientology. There are some similarities to Dianetics and the method in this movie, which is called The Cause, which is never actually explained what it is or what it's supposed to do mm-hmm. because as the son of Philip Seymour Hoffman's character says, well, it's a bunch of bullshit. He says he's making this stuff up. The story goes that Dianetics began at a poker game. L. Ron Hubbard said at this poker game that one day he was going to make up a bullshit religion and make a million bucks. Yeah. How true it is, I have no idea and for anybody who out there is a Scientologist, I am not trying to offend you in any kind of way. I have a healthy respect mm-hmm. for religion. I'm just repeating what I heard. If I'm wrong, please, by okay. all means, email me. You have our email address. It's better in the dark at net. Okay, and please, set me straight on this. Summary of the plot. We have Joaquin Phoenix, who is a World War II veteran. He comes back home, and he's trying to adjust to life after war. The guy's not right in the head, mainly because he insists, I think, on making his homebrew funky cold Medina with paint thinner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what we see. I think in the first 10 minutes of the movie, he's making this stuff up in his dark room because he's a professional photographer. Right. And he's making it up in his dark room. Right. And I'm sitting and I'm humming Funky yeah, Cold Medina. <laughs> Patricia, what are you doing? <laughs> he's making Funky Cold Medina. Oh, man, listen to the song. Right. He keeps losing one job after another right. due to, first of all, he's not a nice guy. He's suffering from some kind of stress disorder because we've seen psychiatrists talk to him after he gets out of service and he ends up stowing away aboard this yacht that's owned by Lancaster Dodd played by Philip Seymour Hoffman who is the leader of this philosophical psychological quasi-religious movement called the cause it's never explained what the cause is supposed to do there's one crazy scene where Philip Seymour Hoffman just has Joaquin Phoenix walking back and forth between a window and a wall and he keeps asking them to describe it walk to the wall he walks to the wall Describe it. Walk to the window. He feels what? Describe it. Walk back to the wall. And in the meantime, there's all these other people that's watching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) They believe in him. Amy Adams, the wonderful Amy Adams, plays Lancaster Dodd's wife. And she keeps him on track. Lancaster Dodd hooks up with this alcoholic World War II vet. Freddie Quell, that's the character's name. And it's weird. And this is why I compared to Boogie Nights Mm -hmm. in that... In that movie, we had the father figure played by Burt Reynolds, who was the father figure to uh, Dirk Diggler. Dirk Diggler played by Mark Wahlberg. Right. I almost called him Marky Mark. Well, he is Marky yes. Mark. I wouldn't call him that to his face. Yeah. I, think he, <laughs> I think he likes to put that behind him. It's the same sort of thing here, where Lancaster Dodd and Freddie, they have this father-son type mm-hmm. of relationship. As I said, the movie is not your typical movie. You go see this, I think people appreciate it more. If throughout what you see in conventional movies as far as plot, motivation, because it's never explained mm-hmm. why this guy created the cause, what he created for, where is he planning on going with it. But there's a lot of great scenes in there right. where people call him on this one scene with Laura Dern. Right. Because he's written one book that explains the cause, and then he writes this other book. The book that he's got buried in the desert for some reason. They go out into the desert in the middle of nowhere and dig up this big iron box. Right. Joaquin Phoenix says, well, what's in it? He says, well, that's my second book. Why did he bury it in there? He don't tell. Just go with it. Yeah, just go with it. 
He publishes the book, and Laura Dern, who's one of his most loyal followers, just asks him, well, on page so-and-so, so-and-so, you contradict something that you put in another book. And he blows up at her. Just read the damn book. Don't question me about it. So Joaquin Phoenix is talking to the publisher of the book. He said, oh, well, what did you think about it? And the publisher said, really? Seriously? That thing should be condensed down to a 20-page pamphlet and given out at the subway. He says, a bunch of bullshit. He said, why'd you publish it? Well, it makes money. They have the scene where his son tells him, you ain't going on yet, so he's making this up. So you have that. But that's not the crux of the movie. What it's about is this charismatic figure who becomes to dominate the life of this younger man who is clearly off the rails. Amy Adams tells him a couple times, listen, we don't need this guy. You got to get rid of him. He's a drunk. He's alcohol. But then we have scenes where we see him brewing up the funky cold Medina. Right. For him and Philip Seymour Hoffman, they're just sitting there drinking. And you say, well, maybe he just wants a guy he can just hang out with and he doesn't have to be on for him. Because they have scenes where he lets down his guard and they're just sitting there talking philosophy. And they get blitzed out their mind on this paint thinner. And they're just talking and bullshit, just being two regular guys. So it's two hours, two guys just drinking stuff they shouldn't be drinking. There's a lot of crazy scenes in there. Like there's one where there's a party, and I don't know if this is supposed to be a dream sequence or not. There's a party where Philip Seymour Hoffman is singing, and all the men are fully dressed, but all the women are completely naked, except for high heels shoes. And they're perfectly natural. Like nobody is making a big deal out of it. All the women are just standing around, but all the men are clothed. You don't know if that's supposed mm-hmm. to be a dream sequence of its real. Is this a good movie? It is a good movie in the sense that it is very well acted. I'm not going to lie and say it's not. Joaquin Phoenix completely disappears into his character. Philip Seymour Hoffman is always good. Amy Adams is good. Laura Dern is good. Had no problem with the acting. But it's a movie that you got to go into with the mindset that you're going to an acting exercise. You are not right. going for a real story with a beginning, middle, and end and a resolution. Because it doesn't have a resolution. Right. It takes the characters from one place to another, and that's all it does. It's not going to explain anything. It's not going to give you any motivation why anybody's doing anything. You just got to go sit there and just watch it. Fans of Anderson are going to go to the movie theaters right. and see this. But if you're really not that much of a fan of his and you really don't want to take a chance on this, I would recommend you can wait for the DVD and watch it at home at your leisure where maybe it might be a little bit more palatable right. and you can stop a fast forward mm-hmm. at your leisure. It's a pretty long movie. It's about two and a half hours long. But I'm not going to say it's not a bad movie because it's Anderson. And I'm not mm-hmm. going to say the guy makes a bad movie because he doesn't. There are a lot of intriguing shots and a lot of intriguing questions and areas that this movie goes into mm-hmm. as to why did this guy create this religion? Where does he plan on going? But the movie's not going to explain But then again, we're talking about Paul Thomas Anderson, who does not like to give us neat packages. Well, this is what I'm saying. All of his films are pretty much signified by the fact that there are no resolutions. Okay, this is why I compare this to Boogie Nights. Because yeah. in Boogie Nights, if you look, the character... And you know how they always have this thing that they always tell you when you write that you have to take the characters on a journey and they yeah. have to learn something. In Boogie Nights, the characters end up at the exact same spot they were at the beginning. They ain't learned a damn right. thing from their experience. That happens to most of us in life. Right. We go through life never learning a damn thing. I mean, construct love. What do we get at the end? We just get him kind of at a different place setting. Yeah, but he's still basically he's the same still basic. guy. And we know that he's going to go through a similar experience. Yeah, with, with the Emily Watson character. And the, the brilliance of Punchdruck Love is it's a transmogrification of what is the typical Adam Sandler comedy. Yeah. He is playing 
the same character, mm-hmm. but in a setting that is more real world. Well, there's the real world Adam Sandler yeah. character. Because if you took the character he plays in one of his typical movies and put him in the real, somebody would have killed him yeah. long ago. He would have killed somebody. And that's what I liked about this movie. It's the same thing as in Boogie Nights, where we see the character and then they go through their period, and then at the end of the movie, what happened? Well, they're all back in the porno yeah. business and they're all making money and they're all friends again. There's no resolution. This movie has no resolution. It's a nice change of pace. I'm mm-hmm. not gonna lie. If you want something a little bit different from what you usually see when you go to the movies and you don't want to see your typical three acts beginning, middle, end. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with it. It's a good movie. I can't recommend it to everybody, but it is what it is. Next. So, from Paul Thomas Anderson, we go to Andrew Garfield. All right. (laughs) Who is British and has the superpower of hair. (laughs) Hi, Ian. What other movie-themed podcast can take you from such lofty intellectual meanderings to To the amazing Spider-Man? Yeah. Which... Has a very interesting backstory, apparently, because... And you can see this. You look at the trailers and you look at the movie, you realize there was a lot of things that were cut out. Uh, Apparently, this film went through a last-minute editing job. And I'm not going to lie, there's a lot of good things. Is this better than uh, the Raimi films? Not necessarily. I think part of the problem is it spends a lot of its time saying, we're not the Raimi films. Yeah. I've heard that the director wasn't too happy about yeah, Not either, but like the studio felt it was a lot of scenes they wanted to save for the second movie. Yeah. Apparently, midway through the film, they decided they wanted to have their own movie verse. <laughs> Sony Columbia, they saw all the money that Marvel Studios was making with their movie verse and mm. said, we want a movie verse too, which is why they have a Venom movie in production. They're already starting to talk about films they're going to be doing in between this one and the next Amazing Spider-Man film. Well, the thing about them holding the Spider-Man copyright is yeah. that they do have all of those characters yes. that have appeared that's associated with Spider-Man. Spider-Man. I don't think it's going to happen. We can see when we see a Prowler movie. Yeah. The one that I think might be the most likely is Black Cat. Black Cat movie. Black Cat Venom. We can see a Black Cat yeah. movie. We go right back to Forest Hills, Queens, played this time by Brooklyn. All right. You know how much we talked about in that long ago episode two, was it? Or was mm-hmm. it episode three? One of those, our earliest episodes. But the thing we liked about the first Spider-Man film is that it had a sense of New York as a place. Right. Everything fit geographically. Forget that in this yeah. movie. Yeah. In fact, people in Manhattan turn the corner and they yeah. were in Queens. Oh, there's even a scene where, now keep in mind, this is supposed to be Forest Hills. Two things happen that put the lie to it. First off, we get a scene in Forest Hills under an elevated train. There is no elevated yeah, train yeah, Forest in, Hills. in Forest Hills. There's no subway L there. And secondly, we see Peter riding home from Central Science High on the Q train, which, as you know, never goes into Queens. Yeah. It goes from Brooklyn to Manhattan, terminates on 57th Street. Mm-hmm. Andrew Garfield is our new Peter Parker, mm-hmm. who's a little bit spiffied up. He's still kind of awkward. He's a skate kid. As I said, he has a superpower of hair. He's... Still kind of a nerd, but they kind of elevate him a bit. So one of the first things is you have one of the the girls coming up to him. He's like, Peter, I was wondering if you were going to be busy later because I really want to take some pictures of my boyfriend's car for him for his birthday, and I know you're really good as a photographer. So people aren't pushing him into fountains and stuff. Well, no, because yeah. nerds are cool now. I mean, the only time he gets into a fight in that early part is when he sticks up for somebody who is being bullied by Flash Thompson. Mm-hmm. Peter does have a crush on Gwen Stacy, and Gwen Stacy apparently has noticed him. I'll tell you right now, if they had found a way to take Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone and put them into the scripts for the San Raimi films, we would have had a much better film because... There's lightning going between them. The mm-hmm. chemistry is like... It doesn't surprise me that they ended up dating. 
Well, Emma Stone is fantastic. Well, she's a fantastic actor. I love Emma Garfield is a great actor, and just, mm. but the, the chemistry is so palatable. He's curious about what happened with the disappearance of his father and mother. We see in the early thing that his father suddenly disappears in the middle of the night mm-hmm. and takes him to Aunt May and Uncle Ben, and that's the last we saw of him. He was working on something involving spiders, judging from the little spider specimen cases he has throughout his office. That, dun, folks, dun, dun. that folks, is what is known as foreshadowing. Peter's father used to work for Oscorp, he finds a way to get into... No shit, Tom! Yeah. Well, once again, it seems like everything in New York happens due to Oscorp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he finds a way to get into Oscorp, finds this weird laboratory with all these spiders, because it turns out that one of the things his father did invent was a kind of synthetic spider silk oh, okay. that is like ten times stronger than uh, titanium wire, which they're trying to market as a binding of yeah. some sort, right? Okay. He gets bit by one of these weird spiders are spinning this weird spider so no, no shit Tom and he becomes the Spider-Man but he also hooks up with his father's old partner Dr. Kurt Connors played by Risa Fons who we learn was working with his father to try to create gene therapy involving animal DNA he said oh, I lost an arm mm-hmm. if we could find a way to create a gene inoculation with guana DNA I can regrow my right. arm I'll have a healthy arm mm-hmm. That trick never works. That trick never works because there's this <laughs> pressure from this proxy of Norman Osborn because they mention Norman Osborn a lot. Norman Osborn. Mm-hmm. Norman Osborn. Which is pretty much how the film goes to produce because Norman Osborn is dying okay. of something. Thank God. And they have seized Dr. Connor's work, and Connor steals a little bit of the serum and tries it on himself. And sure enough, he grows back his arm and then gets a little bit of paralysis and becomes the lizard who is played by a very unconvincing CGI pixel. Every time I saw it, I kept wanting to say, Rah, I'm a monster! Okay. Meanwhile, the whole Peter Parker origin... I did like how they collapsed the origin story a little bit. The director made a couple of decisions, including finding a way to have the wrestling influence Peter without actually going through the wrestling sequence. And also collapsing the thing with Uncle Ben and that, who's played by Martin Sheen. By Martin Sheen. It's Martin uh, Sheen and Sally... And Sally Fields. And Sally Fields, yeah. yeah. Which is weird seeing her in the Smoking the Bandit films and then and seeing then her... And then going to see it, yeah. I was about and to... She, and the, the funny thing is, is she's yeah. aged very, very well. She's aged very well. And one of the things I, I kind of liked in this film is that because there's a younger... Aunt May and Uncle Ben. Martin Sheen is gray-haired, but still you get the impression that they are a little bit younger. It eliminates the wailing frail aspect yeah, that played yeah. the Rosemary Harris character. Yeah. I'm glad to see Sally feel back. Yeah. I saw the trailer when we went to movies last night. I saw the trailer for Lincoln, which yeah. I really wasn't all that interested in seeing, but now that yeah. I've seen the cast, because she's going to play Mary Todd Lincoln. Right. I haven't grown up with Sally right. Field in a way. I'm glad to see her back on the screen. Now, the other major story element is has Peter's romance grows with Gwen. In fact, it's funny because there's a scene early on where Ben goes to the high school to get Peter out, because after he got his power he got caught fighting again with Flash and mm-hmm. this time hurt him a little bit. Yeah. He sees Gwen in the hallway and Ben goes, isn't that the girl that's on your screensaver at home? And she overhears this and goes, oh yeah, he really likes you. <laughs> and he's like, he's like trying to put them together. But there is a romance that grows. However, after he turns and does the Spider-Man thing, after mm-hmm. Ben dies and he catches the burglar and becomes Spider-Man. Actually, he never catches the burglar. And this is one of the things that bothers the hell out of me, Mm -hmm. is that we see him hunting the burglar. Like the early part of the second act. Mm -hmm. But then all of a sudden, the plot thread is just dropped completely. No, 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 no. 
See, that's the whole linchpin yeah. where you get the with great power comes great, great responsibility. responsibility. We if never he doesn't catch the he burglar. He catches the burglar and realizes that revenge is not a good motivation. See, that's like having a Batman yeah. without Thomas and Martha yeah, okay. Wayne getting shot in the alley. As he's getting closer to Gwen, he encounters Captain Stacy, played mm. by Dennis Leary. Dennis Leary. Very, very well by Dennis Leary. Mm. The biggest problem with Captain Stacy, however, is that he's J. Jonah Jameson. They don't. Well, they do have J. Jonah. No, he's not in the film. Really? The only reference to the Daily Bugle is we see a, a headline of the film. Wasn't it supposed to be? I'm gonna get my movies mixed up. No, that's, no, that's Lawrence Fishburne. No, it's Man of Steel. Yeah, yeah, yeah Steel. That, right. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking of. Okay, I thought it was Lawrence Fishburne was supposed to be no. playing J. Jonah Jameson. Okay, and that he's the J. Jonah Jameson stand-in, and they rob him of the thing that is most interesting. Thing about Captain Stacy in the comics, mm-hmm. which is you always get the impression. Eventually, you get in the comics, and we we're spoiling forty-year-old comics people, so don't start screaming. That he knew all along that Peter was Spider-Man and oh, kept yeah. his secret. Mm-hmm. Andrew Garfield is very free with it, and it's funny because the only person who doesn't figure it out before is apparently Captain Stacy. Because mm-hmm. it's made very clear that Aunt May has figured out what he's doing. The lizard's plan is very... It seems like his motivation changes from scene to scene. It's twice as complicated yeah. as it needs to be for a movie of this and, type. And when it ends up being, while it is definitely in keeping with something the lizard did once in the comics, mm-hmm. it sounds ludicrous in a movie. Thankfully, this film is not going to go through the star-crossed lovers thing, because there is a little bit of a hint to that in the third act, only for it to be indicated at the very end that they're not planning on going through with this. Then, of course, we get the frickin' post-credit sequence, implying that there is going to be a Spider-Man movie-verse, but it's done in such a very ham-fisted way. Now, see, just like you, when you said that, you had made a conscious decision not to go yeah. see The Dark Knight Rises because you were just yeah. out through it. See, I had made a conscious decision not to go see the main Spider-Man, and I got the same shit you did when I said, yeah. oh, how you not going to go see Spider-Man? Well, my God, I'm Spider-Man out. We've just had Spider-Man. I mean, come on. I would say it's definitely better than three. Oh, yeah, well. Maybe on par with one. Nowhere near as good as two. And I think the main thing is that Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone do carry a lot of this film. Oh, okay. I never quite bought Tobey Maguire and Kristen Dunst. I could buy Tobey Maguire on his own. You couldn't see two see of them the two together. of them. I can definitely see Garfield and Stone together. I think it's just a very well acted film. Narratively, it is a mess. I think part of that was because of that last minute editing job. So go into that with a grain of salt firmly between your cheeks. It is enjoyable. It is good for what it is. I think this movie had a lot of the wind in its sails was taken out mm-hmm. by the one-two punch of the Avengers and the Dark Knight Rises. Because even my most rabid Spider-Man-loving friends, I'll say to them, oh, well, how was Spider-Man? They said, oh, it was all right. And, then, and that's it. But wait a minute, you were the one that was, was talking to me about how you couldn't wait to see what happened. Oh, yeah, it was good, man. It was good. But it was still, it was like that little... The other thing that worries me about this, Sony is talking that this is going to be another trilogy. And the impression I'm getting is they're going to do what DC is doing, which is after every third film, shut it down, reboot it and again. And reboot it again, yeah. You think we'll ever see a film series again like James Bond that has 16, 17, 18 movies yeah, in nah. it? I don't think we're going to see that. It, this is like the age of trilogy. Okay, we do Planned obsolescence. It's Brave New World. Yeah. You do three movies and boom. Okay, we shut right. it down. We reboot it. 
But it gets your recommendation, though. Yeah. Reservedly. Reservedly. You don't sound too sure that time. I'm amazed at all the people who say, oh, this is the best, this is better than all the Raimi movies. I'm like, no. No. Not really. I think it might have been if the studio hadn't butchered it mm-hmm. and we got some of this stuff that was missing, I think I would have had a much higher recommendation. So, I'm going to go from that. So, we go to The Born Legacy, which is another movie that I think what happened, a lot of people were expecting a lot out of, and it didn't perform as mm-hmm. well as they thought it was going to perform. And I'm going to tell you exactly why it didn't perform as well as a lot of people thought. First of all, let me yes. tell you what I liked about this movie. This is not your conventional sequel in the sense that it takes place right after the first Bourne trilogy, or it continues that story. Actually, there are only two characters from the previous Bourne trilogy that appear in this movie, and... They're in there for two ticks of time. We have Joan Allen and I can never pronounce his last name. Help me out here. David Strathairn. Okay, well, they in the previous movie and they show up here briefly and Albert Finney shows up. But that's, again, it, it's a flashback. Right. This movie takes place supposedly at the same time as the mm-hmm. last Bourne movie. That's when Jason Bourne, played by Matt Damon, was carrying on Cranky in Manhattan. Yeah. So this movie parallels the incidents of that. Aaron Cross, played by Jeremy Renner. And when we first meet him, he's in a Alaska, swimming naked in a lake to recover this canister that's at the bottom Something of this lake. Something for the Yeah. So he's on this secret training mission because he's part of this black operations. And it goes into a science fiction area here because it's these two different colored pills that he's supposed to take every day at a certain time. And what they do is that they enhance his physical and mental abilities. Mm-hmm. In essence, folks, what we got here is the super soldier formula. And he's part of this elite crew of these super soldiers that are taking these medications and they go to Alaska right. and Africa and the North Pole and all of these elaborate training scenarios. Right. Meanwhile, back in Manhattan, because of the events of the Horn Ultimatum, the CIA decides to shut down everything. All in black right. ops operations because they said that now that Operation Treadstone has been revealed, they got all these other operations that are right. going to come out. And Edward Norton is called by Stacy Keach. Stacy Keach is a guy we're never really sure who he is or what his position in the government is. But he's got so much juice that apparently the CIA is in his hip pocket. So he calls in Edward Norton and says, listen, I want you to wipe out everything we got going on. That includes the program that Jeremy Renner is a part of. So they make the attempt to try to kill him, and they don't. And he has to make his way back to the United States because his supply of the drugs is running low. He has to get a hold of Rachel Weiss, who is one of the doctors who has developed these super soldier pills, and get a hold of her so he can get some more of his medicines because he likes being enhanced. Right. Why wouldn't he? And in the meantime, he's got all these people that are running around trying to kill him. And Rachel Weiss, her whole team, they get killed as part right. of the cleanup. So now they've got to go on the run. And that's the whole movie. Commence the punchy, punchy run, Wait run. Wait a minute. I don't mind spoiling the end of this movie because, so help me, Tom. We're in the movie theater. Yes. And there's about 40, 50 people watching it. The movie ends. Everybody in the movie theater is turning around looking at each other's talking, And people say, is that it? One guy actually went to the projection room to make sure that... (laughs) No, because the movie just, boom, it just ends. And we're all waiting until after the credits because we figure maybe this won't be a real thing. It is so... And I love the expression you just used with the other movie, ham-fisted. It is such a ham-fisted thing. (laughs) Well, you got to come back and see this. Because nothing is resolved. Nothing is settled. 
They're on the run. Everybody is still trying to kill them. It's like we just got half the movie. Well, where's the rest? Right. Well, where are they going? We don't know where they're going, what they're going to do. The only thing we found out that he doesn't have to take the pills anymore because apparently he was a secret part of the secret program to make sure he kept the abilities permanently and wouldn't have to take the medication. But they never told him that. And yeah. Yeah, folks, you should see the look on his face. It's priceless. We got to start doing this on film <laughs> so people can see your reaction. Yeah, that's exactly the, yeah. That haven't been said. I like the movie for Jeremy Renner, who I think right there on the edge of being the next big action right. star. Between this and the Avengers and Mission Impossible 3, right. this is the guy that could be the next Jason Statham. He's good. Rachel Weisz, she's always good. Edward Norton, he's good when he's playing a bad You never really get to see him play a bad guy too often. And right. when he does, you can see he's having a good time with it. This is what I like to call a professionally made product. Technically and professionally, there is absolutely nothing wrong with the movie. Mm -hmm. It's shot in gorgeous locations. The action scenes, you can see what's happening. You can see people. No, well, kind of not really. Because there's one part, and this leads me to another little problem I have with the movie. Most of the people that Jeremy Renner kills in the movie are people that are really just doing their job. They don't know that they're working for this shadowy uh, secret government organization that's manipulating them. So it's not like he's actually really killing the bad guy, bad guys. Right. And that aspect of the movie left uh, bad, especially when he kills some cops who were just doing their right. job. I understand the point that he's been trained to be a killer. He doesn't know how to incapacitate anybody. He just kills them. But still, if you're going to have disposable bad guys, then make them disposable bad guys. Don't just make them innocent people that are just doing their job and they don't know they're going up against a super soldier. Right. And why would you even put these people up against a guy? You know that he can take out a whole CIA hit team by himself. That's professionally made, acted, beautiful locations, but it's just not a movie. Wait for the DVD. And apparently I'm not the only one. A lot of people, professional movie mm -hmm. reviewers, they had a lot of problems, especially with the ending. That's the thing that's safe. Give me some kind of... Re just don't make the movie... Well, we know they're going to come back for a sequel, so we don't have to bother yeah. finishing the story. That's insulting to me. So, I mean, I know what they're trying to do. They're trying to go for another franchise, but still, at least make me think that I'm getting a whole complete story. But if you want to go see Jeremy Renner, Rachel Weisz, the rest of the supporting cast, by all means... When it comes out on DVD, it should be any day now. See it. Matter of fact, actually, and you know why I kind of like this better than the Bourne movies? For what we talk about. Didn't we do the Bourne trilogy? Didn't we uh, we didn't do the trilogy, but you reviewed the last one. Right. That damn shaky cam, which sucked the last two movies yeah. for me. You have some of it in this movie, but not as much. They do have fight sequences, except for one, but most of the fight sequences are well done. You can actually see who's hitting who and why. Got good action sequences, but as a movie... Where you get a beginning, middle, and a resolution, no. And I don't like how you're just going to assume, well, we don't have to give them a real ending because they'll come back and see the movie. Right. Well, you know, I'm not going to go back and see the movie. There you go. Are we going to do Expendables 2 together? You want to do that or you want to do yours and let, let me do, do mine? Yeah, and then we'll, and do, then we'll go out on together. a high okay. note with Expendables 2? Because both of us, Well, I think. I think you like it a lot more than I do. Oh, man, you would just... The Bullet Vanishes. This is a Hong Kong film. It sounds like an Agatha Christie mystery. How did I describe this? And this is one of the things I always like about the way that a number of foreign film nations have kind of started trying to adopt American film genres mm -hmm. and do their own version of this. Bullet Vanishes is a movie made in Hong Kong, but it's obvious from almost the very first scene that it is inspired by the success of the Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock Holmes films. Ah. We open on a rainy night in Shanghai. Oh, 
joke in a bullet factory where a woman is holding a gun to her head swearing, I didn't do it, I didn't do it, I didn't do it. I'm innocent. <laughs> yeah, you did it. <laughs> at which point she shoots herself. Oh, wow. Oh. We then see the body being picked up, thrown into the back of a truck. Flash forward a little bit, and we come up on Inspector Song, played by Ching Wan. Song is serving in one of the prisons in China, and one of the things he's been doing is he's been listening to the pleas of the prisoners, that they're innocent, and running tests to see if, in fact, their stories are believable. And he's actually overturned. In fact, we first see him hanging himself to test whether the ligature marks that the husband of one of those prisoners were self-inflicted or not. What if he hangs himself acidly? Well, luckily he didn't. Okay. Apparently this is a man who takes his job very seriously. And he is, in fact, summoned by the heads of the Shanghai prelate. Mm-hmm. To let him know, we've been very impressed with your work here. <laughs> yeah. We have ver- uh, several corrupt precincts in Shanghai. Mm-hmm. We would like to make you internal affairs. He has this weird sort of relationship with one of the female prisoners who committed the perfect murder, only to confess five years later. Statue of limitations. No, 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 she's in prison. Okay, what she does is she tricks her husband into beating her, plants a false diary from her husband Mm -hmm. in which he's plotting the perfect murder. Oh, to kill her. And then she kills him in quote-unquote self-defense. Gotcha. But she was ruled not guilty, and then five years later, as she explains at one point during one of the few face-to-face scenes Song has with her, I got bored. He keeps his correspondence going on with her throughout After the film. All, what's the good of pulling off the perfect crime if nobody, nobody knows, knows you pull it all? Right. Yeah. <laughs> The song has this theory that there are no evil people, there are just good people who make bad choices. He's sent to Shanghai, to this one precinct, which has been called to the bullet factory that we saw in the first scene, because these mysterious murders are happening. There are bullet holes, there's blood, but there's no bullet. Mm. And everybody is running around claiming that it's the ghost of this woman. Because the owner of the bullet factory has this habit that if he catches somebody doing something wrong, he takes a gun, he makes them play a single round of Russian roulette. Mm -hmm. He pulls the trigger. Wow. Then the person accused pulls the trigger. And he says, if the bullet doesn't come out, the gods have judged you being right. If it does, the gods know that you're lying to me. Okay. Dude, listen, you can keep the dental. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want the dental. Just don't make me do this. <laughs> so, Song is teamed up with a detective, Gal, played by Nicholas Say, who is, shall we say, very action-oriented. He prides himself of being the fastest gun in Shanghai. And when we see him in this first chase scene where he's when like... When is this set? During the 1930s. During the 1930s. 1930s. Okay. And it's the two of them and an assistant, Gao's junior partner. Mm-hmm trying to discover, one, how these murders are being committed, why they're being committed, and catch the guilty party. There are a lot of twists and turns. And one of the things I did enjoy about this film is the way that when every level of the the mystery has been unraveled, you realize that you've just watched a different kind of mystery movie. So you've got like a locker room mystery, you've got a play fair mystery, Mm -hmm. and ultimately what you end up with is a hardball detective thriller. Okay. At the very end. There's a lot made of Gao's... Let me see if I can find... I know her name, because I, I mentioned her at some point. Little Lark, played by Yang Mi. Mm-hmm. There's a lot made of Gao's kind of like sort of girlfriend. But there are a lot of other really cool supporting characters. And there's one, and unfortunately I can never find a proper cast list for really? this film. Is this on Netflix? 
No, it's not on Netflix. It was in limited release oh, okay. this month. I saw it in the theaters. Okay. Song introduces Gal at one point to this friend of his who's the county coroner, who's this female. The junior detective starts hitting on her, and she goes, I'm not interested in younger men. Keeps, hand to my heart, a pet ostrich okay. in the coroner's office. What's It's an ostrich so, in a coroner's office. What the bishop keeps a pet cow? But there's a lot of really fun stuff. <laughs> For me, a lot of the fascination was watching these Hong Kong filmmakers trying to translate this American idiom of the detective story into their world. Like, for example, there's a lot more belief in the supernatural. So there are many people who say, oh, it is the ghost of this girl coming back. Oh, yeah, yeah. Revenge. It's still very flawed. The ultimate resolution of the missing bullet thing, it's brought up what the resolution is. Mm-hmm. Part of the fun, for, I'm sure you agree, in a mystery story like that, is finding out the how. You're right. And we never know the how mm-hmm. after we learn the nature. We learn that there are bullets. They didn't know they were bullets at the time. See, that's why uh, me and my beloved wife mm-hmm. were having an argument about this other night because she was watching Columbo. And she said, come watch Columbo with me. And I said, no, I don't like Columbo. Well, why don't you like Columbo? Well, damn, in the first 10 minutes, they tell you who yeah. did it and hide it. What's the point, then? Mm-hmm. I don't want to go through two hours of watching him mumbling, talking right. about you, and acting like a goofball when I already know who did it. And wh- There's no point in me watching it. Right. I'm really not that interested in seeing him act like an idiot to catch somebody who I already know did the crime. See, the reason why I want to see this is because I am so glad that it seems to me that we're going back toward that kind of hard-boiled detective mm-hmm. genre where a detective solves the crime using his own knowledge of yeah. human nature and his own intelligence. And it's not a thing of, okay, well, where's the DNA? Okay, well, he did it. Well, the cool thing is that you've got the hard-boiled detective in Gao and the traditional Sherlock Holmes sure, right. scientific detective in Song. So you've got two detectives, two, two, yeah. two different types of detectives from working two, together. Right, and they, of course the hard-boiled yeah. detective has a different approach from the more intellectual Sherlock Holmes type that looks in mm-hmm. Zero. Yeah, like that. To me, it's about time for the hard-boiled detective to make a return to popular fiction and by popular fiction I mean primarily movies and TV which is where we haven't seen that he never left the books because you can go to your local Barnes and Noble and find hard-boiled detectives up the wazoo but it seems to be a genre that the movies and television has abandoned in favor of the more popular you know why I think that is it's because most people that watch network television they're not readers as such this appeals to this kind of quote-unquote hard science mm-hmm. although there was a friend of mine whose wife was a forensic scientist and she mm-hmm. said she would watch CSI as a comedy yeah I've heard that plenty of times from forensic scientists who say that that's the most hilarious show. And they say they watch it, and they're cracking up insanely. Nothing like that at all. Which, of course, well, I know it's not. Because if you look at TV and you think that that's how it is, well, of course not. Of course they yeah. glamorize it. This film is very well structured. The director is a gentleman by the name of Chai Long Lo. And everything that he lays out in the first act, even that hanging scene I referenced at the very mm-hmm. beginning, pays off in the third act. Oh, okay. You understand why that hanging scene is during the big action sequence that closes up the third act. I don't know if this is meant to be a series or if this is going to be a one-off. I mean, the plotting is kind of messing. The pacing is kind of off. But a really interesting little curiosity, a real interesting little experiment as to how they handle this very American idiom. Oh, okay. I'm very interested in seeing that because not too long ago I was watching a movie called Mm -hmm. uh, Judge D and the... Judge, yeah. And, uh, Troy Hark. Yeah, I, I was watching that because I remember years and years ago when I was a kid, yeah. Channel 7, they had a Judge D movie played by the guy Tony that, Randall. Played, that played... No, you're thinking about the Charlie Chan movie. No, Tony Randall played Judge D in a, a couple of late night movies. The Van Curtis package. 
Really? Uh, Friday Night Late Night Movies. Yeah. That's news to me. The one I'm talking about, Judge D was played by the guy that played Woe Fat from Hawaii Five-O. Okay. In this movie, I guess they were trying to bring back the Judge D character who actually was actual historical mm-hmm. detective that lived in China. In feudal China, yeah. In feudal China. But this was more like a straight-up kung fu movie. And I said, oh, man, I thought I was going to get There is a mystery to yeah. be solved, but this Judge D solves it more by beating the piss out yeah. of people than detecting. Well, Gal does a lot of beating the piss out of people. Oh, okay. But Song is there to do the actual detective work. I'm going to look out for that. Okay. And now it's time to talk about a bunch of guys. With the a bunch Expendables 2. Yes. The other big movie that I was waiting for mm-hmm. this summer. Featuring a villain named Villain. Yes. <laughs> Very clever, I thought. This movie, for those of you who apparently have been living in Sumatra, is the sequel to the Enormously. And when I say Enormously, that does not begin to take in how much goddamn money this movie made. The Expendables, which of course was the big action movie that sounds Sylvester Stallone rounding up a bunch of guys. He rounded up Jet Li. Mickey Rourke, Terry Crews, mm-hmm. Randy Couture, who was a cold-stoned Steve Austin, yep. Arnold Schwarzenegger, who was just in a cameo, Bruce Willis for a cameo. The but same rounded, cameo, in fact. But he rounded up all of these guys, and he put the and the whole selling point of the Expendables was that this is going to be the first time mm-hmm. you would see so many action stars in one movie. Both of us liked it, and we enjoyed it a mm-hmm. lot for what it was. I know I enjoyed it right. because since Sylvester Stallone was there during the big action boom. That mm-hmm. dominated movie right. theaters in the 80s. He knows how to make an 80s action movie. And that's exactly what we got in The Expendables. Mm-hmm. We got an 80s action movie with a lot of good people. Of course, we liked our man Jason Statham. Right. He made a very good partner for Sylvester Stallone. I liked everybody in it. Now we got Expendables 2 that came out last summer. And of course, we got everybody back except for one guy who I want to get to that. I hated what they did to him. But we have John Claude Van Damme as a villain named Villain. villain. Uh, <laughs> like a pimp named Slipback. Yeah. <laughs> you got to say the whole thing. Right. Arnold Schwarzenegger and Bruce Willis are back. They actually play roles in this movie. And they actually have a part mm-hmm. of the action. And to me, a lot of people don't agree with me. But I say go see this movie if for nothing else. Then finally we get to see the three of them standing side by side blasting the bad guys, which is what I wanted mm-hmm. to see in the first movie. We well, my biggest problem it. with the film is it seems like they spent so much time with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Bruce Willis that everybody else gets short shrift. Well, that's true. And you and I have talked about this in private. Two of our favorite characters, Hail Caesar, played by Terry Crews, and Toll Road, played, played by, by Randy, Randy Couture, Couture, do get pushed to the side. Mm-hmm. Now... Admittedly, when it comes to our man Hail Caesar, who yeah. incidentally Thomas said that he only wishes he could have thought of that name yeah. before this movie as it's one of the coolest names I could think of. It's kind of hard to top taking out an attack chop about <laughs> throwing a missile at it. They do have little bits. He's the guy that has to hold the door open mm-hmm. when the girl is trying right. to get the safe oh, out. Lord. We do see them in the concluding fight scene in the right. airport where they're just slaughtering John Claude Van Damme's army. But yeah, because we've got the new sniper played by Chris Hemsworth, the brother, the brother Liam Hemsworth. Yeah, we have Billy the, girl. the kid. We have the girl who's the computer cracker, kind of Maggie. Bruce, Bruce Willis kind of shoehorns her yeah. onto the team. He tells Stallone, well, you got to take her. Who so, was apparently supposed to be played by Maggie Q until she turned it down. Yeah. She's now played by Nan Yu. Either I didn't hear this right or that really smacks up sexism because they're yeah. going to get Michelle Yeoh. Yeah. They said she was too old. I heard that. Oh, I don't, fuck you guys. I don't know if that's true because I have heard that and a lot of you guys no, listen no, to sure. this. Sylvester Stallone's just probably scared that well, no. Michelle Yeoh would kick his ass. Well, no, I've heard since then that she is going to 
be in this female Expendables right. movie. But as most of you know, listen to this, a female Expendables right. movie has been greenlighted. They've already got a writer working on it. They've got a director. And of course, I don't know if this is going to be Expendables 3 or if it's a side project. Right. Nobody really seems to know. Is it from the same production company? Yeah. So what they should do is they should have a solo adventure with the female Expendables and have them fight in the third one. Well, yeah. That would be the logical way that you would go. Pam Grier, of course, has got to be in it. She's got to be leading the team. Rodamitra. Rodamitra, Mila Jovovich. I don't know. I'm sure we could figure it out. Crazy babysitter twins. Oh, What's wrong with them? They're just crazy. crazy yeah. <laughs> Long story short, what happens is that we see the Expendables when the movie opens up. They have to rescue a Chinese businessman. Right. They do it in one of these action sequences that in other movies that would have been yeah. the ending. It's that big and it's that loud and there's that much shit being blown up. Then they did the first unforgivable thing and probably the only unforgivable thing that I have in the movie. Jet Li literally drops out of the movie. And again... You got that wonderful phrase. The most ham-fisted way. Mm-hmm. I would rather they didn't have him in the movie at all yeah. than the way that they did it. Well, he, his only characterization is he gets to punch a guy's head until it explodes. Yeah, that's it. I have no idea why they got rid But considering that they had the new characters that brought yeah. in, I kind of have this scene in my head that in the background, Sylvester Stallone, when they were doing the story meeting, he says, okay, you three guys, figure it out among yourselves which one is going to leave. Yeah. And it was him, Terry yeah, Crews, and Randy, and Randy Couture, sure. and, and, and Jet Li. And Jet Li probably says, I got enough yen already. Right, I got a couple of movies going on. Yeah, right. I now, we should mention that this film, unlike the first film, the first film was an Ori Exton script that Stallone did do a little bit of tweaking on. This film is co-written by Stallone, and I think a lot yeah. of the problems with this film mm-hmm. come from the fact that Stallone has a heavier hand in it. Well, he's not directing No, he's not directing it. That's Simon West, but he's writing a lot of it, which is why we get an over-reliance on mm-hmm. Husker Du humor. Husker Du humor? What's that? You remember when we were kids, there was that game that supposedly came from Sweden called Husker Du was a memory game? Yeah. Husker Du... Humor is when you have humor that is based on the recognition of the audience of something from their past. Well, we get that when Chuck Norris. We get that a thousand times. I mean, that whole Chuck Norris thing. Although, I did kind of like the fact that his character was named Booker, which, of course, comes from Good Guys Wear Black. That was his character. But it's like, for example, whenever Arnold Schwarzenegger shows up, we hear, dun-dun-dun-dun-dun, in the background. It's... The way that he keeps saying, I'll be going through, yeah. going through his Rolodex of famous taglines and using but it. But that's what we want to see. From what I heard, they wanted Bruce Willis to say, yippee Kaye, motherfucker. Uh-huh. And he's like, I'm not going to say that. Okay. And Arnold said, it's all right, I'll do it. Yeah. I, Did he say it? Yes, remember. he does. Because you remember, he said... Oh, when he tells... Yeah, when Bruce Willis said, oh, you keep saying that. But they referenced yeah. that because Bruce Willis says, man, listen, you say that enough already. This time I'll be back. And then yeah. he runs off to get the little yeah. buggy... That little See, okay, <laughs> admittedly, what's not to love about Bruce Willis and Arnold Schwarzenegger in a smart yeah. car <laughs> pulling off the doors and running around an airport shooting people? Yeah, this is the kind of shit you go see that movie for. For you to say, well, I don't want to see... Well, of course you want to see that in there because that's what people expect to see. But it seemed like that was the only thing that he was bringing to the table at, for long stretches mm-hmm. of the film. 
was nothing but, well, we're going to make this kind of jokey rap. And, and some of them got really obscure, like the whole thing with Dolph Lundgren's character being the chemical oh, that engineer. Was hilarious. I thought that was hilarious. But then, see, I know that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, I know that too, which is why I was like, what the heck is going on and here? And you know something? For those of you who've seen the movie, this is the part. They're talking about the Dolph Lundgren character. And then they mention out of Clear Blue Sky, because he's talking about chemical theory. He says, he's a genius. He's got a degree in chemical engineering. And one other character said, really? He said, yeah, he did. Well, what happened to him? Why is he in this business? He got screwed up by some girl. Which is accurate. Which is what actually happened to Dolph Lundgren, because for a while there, he was going out with Grace Jones. And he has a degree in his native country. Sweden. Sweden. He has a degree in chemical engineering. And then he came here. He's also. To study at MIT. The guy actually is a genius. He's also an extremely accomplished fencer. He was the coach of the Swedish fencing team for the 2000 and 2004 Olympics. He speaks something like four or five, six languages. The guy is legitimately a genius. So... I'm sitting in the theater, and when I hear this, I, of course, bust out laughing. And people are looking at me, and one guy actually asked me in the bathroom, yo, man, what's so funny about that? And then I explained it to him, and he said, oh, really? But he was a young guy. Nobody would know that. Okay, I will give you that. Yeah. Unless you were around during the 80s like us, you would not get that at all. That is a really obscure reference, but I thought it was funny that they threw it in there. Yeah. Mainly because I wasn't expecting that. But a lot of people do think that Dolph Lundgren is just this big, well, big dog of a guy. Because that's what he plays. Yeah, when we think of Dolph Lundgren, what do we think? We think of Ivan Drago. I will break I you. I will break you. Yeah, that was hilarious to me. I'm sorry. Now let's get to the elephant in the room because me and you're going to argue about this for a long time. You were convinced that there was a romance thing going on. Oh God, yes. Character. Go ahead and say it so we can fight about it and get out. No, the it's really <laughs> obvious. It's not obvious. Okay, so why do you keep saying it's, it's not obvious? It's obvious to you. It was not obvious to me, and I'm a pretty reasonably intelligent person, Thomas. I'm not saying enough. <laughs> But it's obvious, and I think this was something... Stop saying that! It's not obvious. It was glaringly obvious. The lines of dialogue that they gave her, the way she was constantly flirting with him from the very first moment they meet. I think it was Sylvester Stallone that said, I'm going to take Copland Mm. instead of this film. Yeah. Eventually won over, over the Sylvester Stallone saying, yeah, stop or my mom will shoot sounds like a really cool idea. (laughs) I think this is definitely something that Sylvester Stallone put in the script. Okay. Because even when the other guys are hitting on her, the Liam Neeson character and all of them, it's obvious... What? Liam Neeson. (laughs) That's all right. (laughs) I would pay to see Liam Neeson at an expense playing Brian. Yeah, yeah. I would pay to see Brian. Of course, Brian would kill all of them. Yeah, Liam Neeson in an expendable. You know who I was thinking of? You want to get the ultimate obscure action star to be Jeff Speakman? No, even more obscure. Think you can get it. Black Belt Jones? Ooh, Jim Kelly? Yeah. No, Rudy Ray Moore. Good one. <laughs> Good one, but not the guy I'm thinking of. Billy Jack. Oh, Tom, Tom Laughlin. Tom Laughlin won't do it. Nah, he's crazy. Tom he Laughlin is there on the same he lost his right-wing mind. crazy preserve as Michael Moriarty yeah, right now. He, he, but wouldn't that be a hoot yeah. if they got him? That'd be the guy you would never expect to see come back. You know, Varney, you know, there's one thing that happens. Yeah. And then uh, I just <laughs> go berserk. Because you know you have to do this. I like Rudy Ray Moore. Yeah. I do. I like that a lot. I think that eventually the smarter Sylvester Stallone pulled back from it, but it's obvious to me that there was meant to be this strong physical attraction that Maggie has for the great stone face that is Barney Christmas. That bothered me. It wasn't like the previous one where there was a respect 
Mm-hmm. But it was never with him, sexual. With the, yeah, with yeah. the other woman that was in the first movie. Right. Yeah. Where he was really touched by her dedication yeah. to her country. All right. I'm willing to give you that. And I wanted you to put it yeah. out there so that people could know where we're coming I from. I mean, it's, it's right, right from the you. first scene where they first meet and he's trying to get the information about the mission. And she keeps talking about, that's a cool bike. Did you make it yourself? But she's riding a motorcycle hey, herself. I know. You can hear it in the tone of her voice, the flirty, flirty look. So wait, 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 wait. So if you're standing in a comic book store and you're up there and you're holding on to like a comic book, if a girl comes up to you and asks you, well, what comic book is that? And it shows you. She says, oh, nice comic. That's her flirting with you? No. She's a comic enthusiast. But has she been sent by the government to debrief me on a mission I'm about to go on? Well, I don't know. That's your personal life. Um, I don't know what goes on in your personal life. I told you, I can't talk about that time I had to shoot about <laughs> Bin Laden. I made a promise to Barack. Barry, I said, don't worry. I'm not going to say anything. I hear you. We're in but, tight, you know. But anyway, folks, I wanted Tom to present his side because we argued about yeah. that for the longest one night. But me, on the whole, I enjoyed the entire picture, I have to say. I do have to say, John Claude Van Damme, I wasn't too crazy about him being in the movie, but I was glad to see that he didn't like because I could have sworn right. he was going to try to... Well, the weirdest thing is... The villain named Villain. Mm-hmm. His whole narrative arc seems to be him driving from one point to another. Yeah. That's pretty much all he does. And also, Liam Hemsworth, mm-hmm. I think I got it right this time, might as well have been wearing a red shirt. Oh, yeah. I was kind of hoping that wasn't going to be the point because I really liked the chemistry he had with... Alone. Yeah. There's that scene outside the biker bar mm-hmm. where he's talking about his girlfriend with him. And you just knew they might as well yeah. have a, a neon sign. Yeah. He's toast. But there's just. He's toast. Yeah. He's toast. But there's just such a nice chemistry between yeah. the two of them. Just like you got the impression that Barney was passing the torch to Eric in the where first he, film. Where even though they had a bar that hang yeah. out clearly off duty and drinking, he still calls him sir. You oh, know, he see, never, that's something that I also never, liked about He never loses that respect for him. Yeah. yeah. That's something else I liked about Hemsworth's performance, is the fact that he is so respectful to everybody. It gives a different sort of texture to the group. During yeah. that period, it yeah. makes them a little bit more professional, unless yeah. like a bunch of guys hanging out. Yeah, like, right. Yeah, they, they seem more like a professional military unit now. I like Randy Couture. Now, in the first movie, they made it clear that he was the intellectual yeah. of the team. But in this one, since we didn't get all of their mm-hmm. backstory a lot, they couldn't go into that. But next time you watch the movie, look at it. In a lot of the scenes, you see Randy Couture. He's in the background with yeah. a book. Right. He's not doing anything, but he's sitting in the back with a book mm-hmm. reading. And I picked up on that, and I like that a lot. Because right. he's saying a lot about his character without having to say anything. And I would be willing to bet he did that. Another thing that I think was brought in unnecessarily, I think you agree with me on this, mm-hmm. is Charisma Carpenter. Yeah, yeah. Bitch is in the first movie, bitch has got to be in the second movie. Yeah, I know you don't care for it at all. I'm a big Charisma Carpenter fan. If they had any actress, and matter of fact, this is a role that could be played by any actress. Yeah. It could be played by some nameless bimbo that you go into a McDonald's and say, listen, you want to be in a movie for five minutes? Well, I think the funniest joke would have been, and this is something that you and I came up with privately, the idea that every Expendables film, Lacey is played by a different actress. Yeah. And nobody says and anything nobody about it. And nobody notices anything. Exactly. In the next movie, have it played by Halle Berry. And yeah. nobody makes And just make it the flavor of the month for that year. Like a running joke. Yeah. yeah. The same name and everything and nobody ever mentions that it's a different girl because she's in the movie for, I swear to she's God. She's in the movie for about a minute, minute screen time. Maybe and then, two. And then she nags Eric all throughout the film. You have Jason Statham discussing his relationship with his girlfriend with Sylvester Stallone more than he does with his yeah. girlfriend. 
there's a problem there. And uh, really, if she's only going to be in the movie for two minutes, either do one or two things. Like you said, make it a running right. gag that we could get a little chuckle out of. Or just cut her out. Why did you have to have her in the scene in the first place? Just to remind her, well, she was in the first movie. And she was probably contracted to be right. in the second one. Did you get a bigger charge as I did out of the Soviet spy city? Oh, yeah. I love that concept of the Soviet spy city. The thing was, of course, they don't draw attention to it, but you and I knew what that was. Yeah. Yes. They don't make a big deal out of it. For those of you who don't know, Tom is now going to explain the concept behind the Soviet spy city, um, which is something that actually existed. When I was younger, I bought a book called For Bond Fans Only. It was a tie-in with Bond Mania at the time. Mm. It was done in the, like, 65. And there was an article by then-former CIA head John Dulles about Soviet spy cities. This is where Soviets trained their undercover spies. They were brought to these cities in the middle of nowhere, which were built to be replicas of American small towns. They spoke English... They went through their cover identities. They watched American programming. Exactly. They ate American food prepared in American way because a part of being a spy means that you have to eat the same exact right. food that you're eating so your system gets acclimated right. to it and you don't give yourself away by eating something you're not used to. Yeah. Which shows you how deep this particular training goes. It's a really cool concept. Apparently the program had been discontinued in the 70s mm -hmm. when relations started getting a little easier. But... You still have all of these Soviet spy cities yeah. all over the landscape. These ghost towns, okay, yeah. which to me is a cool concept. I've long thought about writing a story where a bad guy has taken over one of I these did spy cities that is a base. A little bit of a Byron Price war story here. The last book that I had been contracted to do for Byron Price before the Marvel program went under was called Five Decades of the Avengers. That. We already put out five decades of the X-Men. Yeah, okay. Which yeah. were five novelettes, each by a different writer for each of the five decades of the Avengers. And I chose the 80s, and I chose to do a story about the West Coast Avengers. Mm -hmm. And there was a time when the West Coast Avengers, you had the Human Torch, and mm -hmm. then the same time on the East Coast, you had Namor the Submariner and Captain America. So wouldn't it be cool to have an Invaders reunion? Right. And I came up with the idea of Hydra building this kind of spy city in the middle of the Pacific Northwest. One of the related characters mm -hmm. disappears up there. So the three of them get together along with the, the West Coast Avengers and they come across this town with the Taskmaster and Baron Strucker training these Hydra agents to infiltrate yeah, American Amer cities. American suburbia. I did write the treatment for the story and it was approved. I'm trying to remember. I know I wrote the story because I did get the payment. Oh, well. But the book never came out. Main thing, but you yeah, got the money. I got the money. <laughs> Think about it, all these cool abandoned places out in the middle of the steps. Yeah. That, I mean, that's a fabulous idea. And I really did like when they got to the town, it was a town where all of them yeah. were working in the mine to get the plutonium. Because the whole scheme of the villain, right. Elaine, is that. <laughs> a villain called villain. Buried in a vault underneath is what? Like a couple of tons yeah. of plutonium. Mm -hmm. So he's going to take the plutonium, and we never really know what he's going to do with well, it. Well, he's going to sell it. He's either going to sell it or he's yeah. going to make bombs or whatever he's going to do See, with it. the thing I found fascinating about the villain called Villain mm -hmm. is that he almost came off as a James Bond villain. Yeah, that's a James a Bond, James Bond, Bond villain scheme. in yeah. an Expendables movie. That's a James Bond villain scheme. Yeah. yeah. To steal a couple of tons of plutonium and sell it on open market. Yeah. yeah. But of course, it's up to the Expendables they have to stop. So they spend a considerable amount of time chasing them all over the landscape. Now, Bruce Willis gets involved in it because he puts the girl on the team. Yeah. And the Expendables have to take this mission because 
Bruce Willis is still pissed off. They screwed up the mission from right. the first movie. So he tells him, listen, you're going to give me a freebie on this yeah. one. And then him and Stallone get into this thing later on where Stallone naturally says, you forgot what it's like to do the dirty work yourself. Right. You've been a bureaucrat too long. Thereby giving us the hint that they have some kind of history. Yeah. Which means he suits up and goes, yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. Yeah. He joins the team right. out there. Meantime, we have Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's popping up in random yeah. parts of the movie. Because he's either captured or he's rescuing right. them all throughout the movie. <laughs> I said I'd be back. Is <laughs> that scene where they're in the cave-in and he breaks yeah. through with the earth mover? Uh-huh. And he goes, I said I'd be back. And he's got the And Randy Couture turns to Kelsey and goes, why is he always well, saying yeah, that? Why does he keep saying that? <laughs> and of course we have that massive colossal shootout at yeah. the end where of course after we think he's left the movie Chuck Norris shows up Booker yeah yeah they even got in the little thing that they do about Chuck Norris jokes about he was bit by the King Cobra yeah. said yeah well what happened he says after three days the snake died <laughs> you know? all of the flaws of the movie for me overwhelmed just the concept of seeing all of these guys together on the screen blasting the hell out of the bad guys and yes if they keep on in this vein I do want to see Expendables 3 I want to see Expendables 4 let's get Carl Weathers out of mothballs let's bring Mickey Rourke back let's find Fred Williamson but Fred Williamson will want to be the hero yeah well, I can't. He would bang. You know, Ming yeah, I can't die. I get the girl and I save the world at right. the end of the movie. And Sylvester Stallone is saying, no, nah, that's not going to happen. Bye. Click. Jim Brown, Jeff Speakman. Yeah. The human weapon. Let's see him. Although he's so obscure, I doubt a lot of people would know who he is. Hell, what's his name from Jim Carter? Yeah. <laughs> what was his name? Kurt, whatever? Yeah. Yeah. Get him. There's so many guys that they could bring back for one movie just to do it. They haven't said yet who the cast is going to be for Expendable. Three, but they did. I know that they said they're trying to get Clint Eastwood Harrison Ford. Three I names. can't see Clint Eastwood oh, doing it. They have signed. Well, he won't turn down anything they do. Your boy, Nicholas Cage. Oh, God. he's def- my boy, not my boy. He's definitely been signed. I ain't for. taking responsibility <laughs> for him. <laughs> no, they said they were going to get Clint Eastwood. Well, maybe if Nicholas Cage plays Fu Manchu like in that trailer, which was all still waiting on. No, Clint Eastwood actually wouldn't be on the team. They said they wouldn't get him to play president of the United States. Okay, that I could see. Clint Eastwood, who pulled the wool over the Republican National yeah. Congress's <laughs> convention's eyes. Did you see that news? I loved it when he said they were dumb enough to put me yeah. up there. They deserve what they got. I said, you, he did that shit on purpose. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned. I said, well played, Mr. Eastman. Oh, okay, let me ask you, well is played. it just me or ever since the Republican National Congress and all these videos have been coming out and Romney's been going around making these speeches where he's putting his foot deeper and deeper into his mouth, has Obama just been being more and more cocky? I would be. I'd be like, where else in the history of American politics has you had a candidate sink his own campaign? And isn't there anybody on his staff with the guts to tell him, shut the fuck up? That's all. Don't say nothing. You even have your president and vice presidential candidates contradicting each other. That's what I love. Why are you talking? Just shut up. Or read everything that's on this piece of right. paper and nothing else. No. What part don't you understand, man? And I haven't been following the news about what he's been done because all I'm waiting for now is a debate. Oh, yes. He, that is going to be the most he, watched debate in recent memory. Because this is going to be, when is he going to burst into flames? That's going to tell it right there. After that, because I think that after that debate, the Republicans are going to throw in the towel. It's every man for himself now. i got to start covering my own ass because this ain't happening. 
They claim that they are working feverishly and he's rehearsing. Yeah, you can rehearse all you want, but... See, he, Obama wouldn't have to say anything. He just have to have like a whole list of quotes of Romney in the last three weeks. Oh yeah, this is what you said. For all of you Romney supporters out there, it's not that I hate the man. I don't. I don't hate anybody. Well... There was a kid back in sixth grade. But anyway, it's just that I look at this man and I don't see anything in his eyes. There's something missing in there that lets him connect to people like me and you, Tom, yeah. and a lot of you listening out there. And that's not his fault. He just wasn't raised that way. There are just certain things he does not comprehend. Right. The way that you and I and 99% of Americans live is as foreign to him. It's like trying to explain the concept of color to somebody who's been blind all right. their life. It's something he can't grab because he would never lived that. I don't blame him for that but by the same token I don't want somebody to represent me call himself my president right. if he doesn't at least have the most basic empathy on a human level even if you never lived the way that we live on a basic human level you can emphasize with somebody that is not as privileged as you are he can't even do that his politics is another thing I'm talking about basic simple human empathy with another people mm -hmm. I don't see that and that's why I'm not voting for him I'm Derek Ferguson, and I, I endorse, endorse this message. <laughs> so, we're coming up on two hours now. Okay. So now, you can't say you didn't get a full episode, folks. So you, review. you got movies, you got yeah. politics, you got comedy. The only thing you didn't get was Tom Singer. I did sing. What'd you say? I sang earlier. What'd you say? Oh, oh. you know what I meant to ask what? you? About the Amazing Spider-Man. Yes. You know what I'm going to ask you? Did they use the song? No. Nope, sorry. Okay, that's right. I was singing, What Do You Do With a Drunk? With a Drunken Connery. What Do You Do With a Drunken? To review, all of them that I saw were kind of tepid recommendations. It wasn't anything yeah. that you would say. The yeah. Bullet Vanishes is an interesting as a curiosity. Uh, Amazing Spider-Man is okay. It's better than I thought it was going to be. And Red Lights is all right. It's just not going to be for everybody. And, of course, Expendables, I, I think I liked a little less than you did, although I didn't dislike it. And uh, for me, I had the Bastard, the Anderson movie, mm -hmm. which... Is he got, a good subject for director's court? Uh, uh, I'm doing my office space. Yeah, today. okay. Uh, my gut says yes, but my head is saying no, and I have no idea why my head is saying no, mm -hmm. but my gut is saying yes, and I, since in certain matters I tend to go with my gut more than with my head, I will say yes. We'll consider that. Yeah, The Master. I wouldn't say mine is a tepid recommendation, but it's definitely a movie you have to be in the mood to go mm -hmm. see. It's not something you want to go see on a Friday or Saturday right. night when you're hanging out with your peeps. It's not that type of movie. It's a movie when you want to put on your intellectual cap. Right. That's the type of movie. The Born Legacy, definitely, that's a movie. Wait for it on Netflix. It's got a lot of good action. It's got a lot of running around. Again, mm -hmm. I recommend it for Jeremy Renner, who I think is going to be the next big action star. Right. It's a fight between him and Joseph Gordon-Levitt right now. <laughs> Although Jason Statham has still got his crown, he ain't giving it up no time soon. Yeah, it's recommended for home viewing, let me put it that way. The Expendables 2, I liked it a little bit more than Tom. I recommend it wholeheartedly, and I'm looking forward to more Expendables movies. They keep going in this vein. They can do Expendables 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, right. 8, 9, 10. Until, as a matter of fact, they keep doing it until Jason Gordon Levitt. <laughs> it's all <laughs> enough to, to be. 
Okay, so I guess it's time for the administrative. Which is going to take us about as long as this episode is running. Yes, okay. Whether you love us, whether you hate us, whether you want to say that you wanted to see Sylvester Stallone suck face with Nanyu. In which case, you need help, man. There's a number of ways you can reach us. You can send us an email at betterinthedark at earth2.net. That's betterinthedark at earth-2.net. You can join our Facebook page. Just go to Facebook, type in Better in the Dark, ask us to join. We are moderated, so you'll have to wait, but I'd probably most likely ask you to pull up a chair and you can join in the fun, including all the pictures of cosplay Asian girls and the like such that Derek likes to put up. Freaky, deaky Freaky, deaky stuff. stuff. Actually, a lot of the stuff I put up is pretty tasteful. Yeah, I think no, so. no, I'm just saying. I'm, it doesn't crawl. I'm kind of... Re- There's one I found at Amber Rose, though, boy. I'm dying to put that mm-hmm. up, but I think Ron's head would explode. <laughs> <laughs> The members on our list seem to like it, right. so hey, I keep doing it. Wasn't there the one member who joined recently and said, I wanted to start a film conversation, but I'm a little overwhelmed by the boobies? Yeah. He said, wait a minute, I'll catch up with you. Yeah. I gotta go back and look at the boobies. <laughs> you can follow both Derek and myself on Facebook. We use our real names. We're not that hard to find. Derek has a blog devoted to his movie reviews called The Ferguson Theater. Yes. When is this episode going up? Probably the end of October or very early November. Oh, okay. Well, then, see, it'll be too late then. Because, as usual, around this time of year, especially next month, starting next month, my blog, I'm going to be representing all of the horror movies that I've seen, and I'm going to be putting up a list on there. Matter of mm-hmm. fact, I want to remind people today on the Better in the Dark Facebook right. page, because I have that whole list of all of the horror episodes that we've right. done and where they can find mm-hmm. it, because I know people like to go back and listen to those episodes. And I have Damn Your Eyes, Damn Your Eyes, 10 Statements About. Highly recommended reading, right. whereas at top in 10 pithy statements totally encapsulate the movie experience that he has just had and that you should be participating in. Also, Derek has the Dylan blog, yeah, where you can follow the progress on the adventures of the premier new pulp hero of our time, Dylan. Dylan blog, that's the and Blood and Ink. Blood and Ink blog, so I'm all over the place. People have actually emailed me and said, where do you find the time? And I say, well, how is it that you don't find the time? There you go. I've got the Nocturne Travel Agency. Yep, which is still going which strong. Still Who are you going interviewing next, Thomas? It's going to be Lee Houston Jr. Ah, about Project Alpha. The, but that's uh, going to be a ways down the line. Because I'm working on two books plus my new football column. Mm-hmm. At tricycleoffense.com. Dad, tell us about that. It's called Moves Like Curtis, named after, of course, my favorite jet player of all time, Curtis Martin. Okay. Every week I look at the games and I give my very inaccurate predictions about who I think will win and laugh at the team from New England. Like, for example, in the week four column, which is about to go up the week of the recording, I'll be weighing in on the zebra stripe circus that is the replacement referees. I was going to ask you where you're going to cover that because all of my football loving friends and you know who you are. Y'all catch as large y'all motherfucking minds yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> I was dying. I loved that photo that I think the Universal Press Service took of the two referees standing over the Greg Jennings catch mm-hmm. and they're each giving, and this is an actual photo from the game on Monday night, they're each giving a different interpretation. 
Even people who didn't know anything about football, they were incensed. They said these guys are If crazy. these replacement refs continue by about week eight, a coach will have choked a bitch. Mm, I hear you. I'm guaranteeing you that. Yuck. They came very close because both Jim Harbaugh and Sinister Sweatshirt came very close to punching somebody Y'all this week. Man, the internet blew up yesterday. Y'all cats just lost your mind over that game. So we will be reading the column. From yeah, me. it's going to be part of the regular column. So I'm going to be doing one a week through the, the Super Bowl. Okay, cool. We'd like to direct you to our various publishers, like, for example, Pulpworks Press, mm-hmm. the home of Dylan. Dire Planet, and, written uh, by Joel Jenkins. Mm-hmm. The uh, Gantlet Brothers. Yeah, he's got a new one that's going to be coming out soon, The Gantlet Brothers' Greatest Hits. There's the How the West Was Weird series, series, which I think, I don't want to say right. it's a confirmed thing, but I have heard rumors that, yes, that, that Rusty. there is going to be a, the, a third one. Yeah. yeah. We will see. Also, you can go to Pro Se Press. All right. That's right. Run by Tommy Hancock, which is the home of Sovereign City. Represented now, by Lazarus Gray and two to soon to be three books written by Barry Reese. Yeah. One book by me, The Adventures of Fortune McCall, soon, hopefully, by the end of this year. But I'm going to be honest with y'all guys. Um, <laughs> it may not happen. No, really, because there's another project that I'm working on, and it's oh. rapidly growing out of hand. The book is getting a lot Is that a crossover novel? Yes, it is. The one okay. I'm doing with Josh Reynolds. Okay. It's getting a lot more bigger and a lot more complicated. Not that that's a bad thing. Right. I'm enjoying it, but I'm just saying that Fortune McCall is getting pushed back, which is not such a good thing. Yeah. Because the last book came out in December of last year, and I wanted to have the book ready. But I'm going to work on it, folks. As a matter of fact, I have one story that's done right. in which Fortune McCall and Lazarus Gray, they do meet up. Okay. It's not exactly a team-up, per mm-hmm. se, but to well, in one of the stories in the book that's going to introduce the fourth character, there's kind of sort of a little crossing of paths. Oh, literally. Oh, you know, you, you and I told it, it yeah. about it. Yeah. You told me about it. I told <laughs> it about cute. it. But yes, in the fourth character, which is being worked on right now, which is, of course, The Adventures of Dow Jones. Um, which is going to be coming soon, and you folks are going to enjoy it. I, of course, am privy to you know, what it is. What it is, and it's going to be a worthy contribution to the whole sovereign city. Okay. See, after this, because there's going to be so many other guys that's going to be wanting to knock down the door. Right. Wanting to get in on it. I think that he's going to have to let everybody, yeah, come, everybody in come in now. Yeah, I did an interview with Tommy that's available on the Nocturne Travel Agency, and I said afterwards, I said, I'm a little surprised that you allowed me to come in. He's like, I know what you're capable of. Yeah. And finally, of course, it's time to salute Yep. Ron Fortier of Airship 27. Yay! New book out with some Derek Ferguson material. Sinbad, The New Voyages. Sinbad, the New Voyages is out. Also, there's stories there Ian Watson and Nancy Hansen. We've all got stories Ian Watson, there. the hardest working man in Britain, apparently. Oh, that guy is a machine when it comes to writing. Yeah. But yeah, my story, Sinbad and the Voyage to the Land of the Frozen Sun. Probably the longest title I have ever written and the longest title in the book, and that book is recently going on sales. If you're a big fan of either Harry Hawson films or those late 80s, early 90s syndicated period adventure TV shows, Mm -hmm. this is the book for you. Yeah. Ron was very clear about that. He said, when you're writing your story, think of the Ray Harryhausen movies. That's what I did. The research I did for this, I watched all the Sinbad movies. I watched the original Thief of Baghdad. Then I watched the Douglas Fairbanks. There you go. Sinbad the Sailor from 1940, I believe. Mm-hmm. And that was it. That was my research for the story, which was a lot of fun to write. I hope they're going to do well. There's going to well, be the, the second, second one's one, already second one is done. Yeah. yeah, so many people wrote stories for this yeah. that I honestly believe that in a month, Ron had 
enough for it for two books. Right. So I'm going to have to wait for volume three, three and yeah. a shot at another Sinbad story. Right. So he has asked me to do something, and I'm holding off on that because I'm concentrating, of course, on the Shadow Legion Casebook Volume 1. So everybody within the sound of my voice, go to your computers and order a copy of yes. Sinbad's New Voyages right now, either in paperback or for your Kindle mm-hmm. and or Nook. And, of course, coming next year, hopefully very early next year, is New Roads to Hell, Yeah, which is the first adventure of the Shadow Legion, the heroes of the city of Nocturne. And I'm already hard at work on the second book, which is called the Shadow Legion Casebook Volume 1 for For Danger. So put that on your must-read list which right features now. Four solo short stories featuring each of the four heroes of the first book. I love the way you describe this on your blog. You said that the novels, you can think of them as full-length graphic novels, whereas the yeah, collection like, is like one of those bags that we used to get. You would get the full yeah. random issues of any full random Yeah, we should, we should explain what yeah. that... Yeah, it used to be back in the old days before comics became rapey and violent. Yeah. They were considered for kids. You could go to Toys R Us or Walmart, Walmart or yeah. any one of a number or of Kmart yeah. or Caldors. Or, it was Whitman would put them together. Yeah. Whitman would buy overstock of various comic books and package them together three to a pack in a little plastic bag. Mm-hmm. And you wouldn't know. You would know what the first two were because they were always... They had the covers facing the out. facing out. Yeah. So you could look and you could see, oh, it's a Batman issue and it's a... a flash. A flash issue. And you but, would never know what the middle one was. They were, which was the fun of yeah. buying it because you didn't know what you were going to... Of course, you made get something sucky, but yeah. hey... You pay your money, you take and your chances. Did this, and Whitman would do this for DC and for Marvel and for Archie. Yeah, Archie. You would have three Archie comics. The idea is it's going to alternate between a full-length novel and then a short story collection. Mm-hmm. And my hope is somewhere down the line, because the way that I set up the world... You have all these different fictitious cities that I've been I've named checked in the first book. Other writers can come in and say, I'd like this city, and start populating with heroes they created. Mm-hmm. So later on down the line, the case books will even feature new characters. Yeah, by other writers, yeah. By other writers. As you can see, folks, Tom's got this long-term plan, which yeah, I myself thinks is a good, that's a good way to go. Hey, I've got a five-book commitment, so i got to... you got to fill them with something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think I'm about 11,000, 12,000 words into the 60,000-word book. We've got some cool stories in there. We've got a supernatural story, and we've got lots of like really good things, and hopefully like a comedic story about a baseball team. Okay. So that's what's going on there. So until then, I guess, I got nothing. Uh, that's it. That's it. So long, farewell, Have until we, we meet good. again. Have we just say good night? Go see that movie. <laughs> he's Thomas DJ. And he's Derek Ferguson. And as always, we want you to go, go see, see that, that movie. movie. Good, good night. night. So have you been working for Matheson long? Or are you a psychologist too, or a magician? Actually, I'm a physicist. So why do you do this? Do what? Investigate fake paranormal stuff. You've been listening to Better in the Dark, featuring Thomas E.J. and Derek Ferguson. Special thanks go to Andy and Michael of Hey Kids Comics, Chris and Paul, Paul of Chin Stroker vs. Punter, Patrick of Scream Queens, Eric Frohm, and of course, all the members of the Better in the Dark Facebook page. Better in the Dark once had drinks with Philip Seymour Hoffman, but walked out once it was asked to strip off everything but its heels. Send all comments, praise, hate mail, love letters, and pipe bombs to Better in the Dark at Earth2.net. That's Better in the Dark at Earth-2.net. Please vote for us on Podcast Alley, and why not leave a review of us on iTunes? Hey, maybe you can even visit the Better in the Dark Central site at www.betterinthedarksite.com. 
And don't forget to check out all the amazing music available at www.beehyphen.com. Better in the Dark is a Conspiracy Productions presentation in association with the EarthQ.net community of podcasts. All material copyright, Thomas J. and Derek Ferguson. Until next time, remember that strangling yourself to prove a point, well, it might end up proving the point that you didn't think these things through. Racing against time, he's an action hero. He's an action hero. In his mind. You must want to hurt me bad. I'm not going to hurt you. I'm going to take your life. Come.